Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, November 17th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to chat about the NFL for Week 11 and take a look at the RSM Classic, this week's PGA Tour event. Only two PGA Tour events left for the 2020 calendar year. So we'll talk about that one here on today's show as well. Over at ATS.io, I actually put up a preview for the RSM Classic this week, so you can get more of my thoughts over in written form over there. Updated college football power ratings for Week 12. Uh, games already starting to get canceled here for this week, so hopefully we can you know, sort of mitigate the games that we lose, but we'll see how things play out as the week goes along. Lots of picks and predictions for the NFL and college football. Updated Circus Sports Million article this morning. We'll update the Super Contest one here this afternoon. And also over at BetMGM Sportsbook this week, bet $1 on the money line of either side in Cardinals versus Seahawks on Thursday night. Win five or win $100, excuse me, in free bets if any touchdown is scored in that game. So that's a new user promotion over at BetMGM Sportsbook. We encourage you to check that out. And we also encourage you to check out the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store. Links to download that over at ATS.io. A bet tracker, an odd screen, stats, trends, information, article integration from the website. A really powerful tool in the palm of your hand. So download that ATS app in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store, or over at ATS.io. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm focused on the hockey picture behind you. Is that, uh, what's that? Is that a Miracle on Ice thing? What is that? It is. Yes, Miracle on Ice thing. You know, I actually met Jim Craig. Uh, he did a signing at, a, at the Lake Erie Monsters game. I think they were still Lake Erie Monsters at the time, like maybe three years ago. Uh, couldn't have been nicer. You know, I, I had some things for him to sign, some pictures I picked up off of uh, eBay and Really cool. Really cool to meet that guy. I mean, I wasn't alive yet when the Miracle on Ice happened, but I've had the chance to see the game. Um, you know, obviously, I follow a lot with it, but uh, great moment, obviously, to say it was the least. One of the, one of the coolest things that uh, I can remember, I mean, I knew Mike Ramsey and Rob McClanahan. They went right from the Miracle on Ice to the Sabres. And in fact, I started working on TV in Buffalo uh, in August of 1980 whatever, a few months after. And then the Sabres did their training camp that year uh, up at Lake Placid. And it's like one of the weirdest things ever. It's like there's two things that like that. One was walking in, going to, went to a Bills Cowboys game, and you go down to the Texas Book Depository, you go down to Dealey Plaza, it's one of these bizarre things. The hair on your arms just comes up, just being there. And the other one was, the hair on your arms comes up because they were practicing at Lake Placid, uh, you know, in that arena. And it was like just a few months after that. And you walked in and literally it's like the movie you walk in, you're just looking around and it's like that, that building has this ridiculous aura to it. And, you know, just from that one game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, we went there in 2007, my parents and I, and uh, my then girlfriend, now wife. And, uh, it was tough. You know, we walked into the arena, which of course is now Herb Brooks Arena, and there was a figure skating practice going on, and there were, you know, ads for local businesses on the boards, and I was just kind of like, I don't know, I almost felt disappointed. Like, I wanted the place to feel like, you know, as a hockey fan, as somebody who grew up playing hockey, I wanted it to feel, you know, almost like this mecca for me, and 
I don't know, just the ads on the boards and the figure skating practice kind of watered it down a little bit, but the town, you know, the town really hasn't changed much from what people talk about, you know, what yeah. it was from the Olympics. Oh no. You drive around the, the ski jump things about a mile or two past the hockey arena, the high school's right there where Eric Hyden did all his stuff. And uh, that, that was great fun. We, I think for a couple of years, they did training camp up in Lake Placid. And that, that was, it was cool. It's a cool little, little place. The Adirondacks are awesome. Yeah, no, very beautiful area to say the least. Uh, all right, so I guess we'll get into this NFL stuff here for today's show. And uh, I guess kind of the starting point here, Brian, is, you know, again, I mean, things are, are kind of falling apart to some degree with college football. 15 games canceled last week. Already, I think three or four, no, seven games canceled for this week. Uh, games being rescheduled to later in December, stuff like that. But, you know, the NFL continues to find a way to make this work. And, we did have some games that weren't up on the board last week from COVID and various other injuries, but I don't know, man, with each passing week, I feel more and more confident diving in early in the week to try and, you know, get some of these numbers before they start running away. No, the NFL, I think is the NFL. I mean, there are some COVID things that have impacts on games. Clearly when a quarterback like Cam Newton goes out, the, the funny thing is, uh, albeit the guys that were there were kind of the veterans, but, um, the, the Bills secondary actually was depleted by COVID in that game with the Cardinals and Hopkins gets the Hail Mary, but throughout the course of the game, uh, they actually played quite well. But for the most part, uh, I think with confidence, I think we're saying the NFL, uh, they're going to make it and they're, they're pulling this off. Yeah. And, and the thing that's interesting too, is, you know, when, when you try to handicap COVID and I know we've talked about it a lot from a college football standpoint, how, you know, a lot of times you handicap COVID, you get a little bit of line value, and it, you know maybe it winds up not mattering a whole lot. You know, I was on the Bengals last week in the Circus Sports Million. Ben Roethlisberger out all week, isolated as a close contact with Vance McDonald, who does have COVID. And the Steelers just didn't miss a beat. I mean, the Bengals never had a prayer in that game. So that's been the more challenging part for me, is that you sort of expect COVID to have some level of impact, and unless – you know, the COVID news breaks on Saturday night or Sunday, like it did with the Buffalo secondary feels like it's just not really having a significant impact in a lot of these games. No. And on, I got, I don't know how you're approaching it. Uh, you know, literally when we get to the weekend in college football, I wait to the last minute. I really do. And which isn't always the way you want to play the game. Cause you want to always try to get the best of the number. But what's the point early in the week in the college, I think is, is night and day different. On top of that, you know, what are we dealing with with these kids? I still think it's a, a kind of a quirky season where one game to the next, I don't know, I'm just not comfortable feeling you have a real grip on what's going on. Um, and you'll see some results go, well, it wasn't even in the game there. It, it, it just seems to be that kind of thing for me with college football. And if, if say, in past years, you play seven, eight, nine games on a – college football Saturday, I probably whittled it down to three or four. That's at least the way I, I've approached it because I just don't have a level of confidence of what I'm looking at or dealing with. Well, one thing that we have been dealing with here in the NFL is weather. Last week, lots of weather games, games where the totals dropped quite significantly. And again, weather can dictate how you want to play a side as well. You know, Take the Browns, for example, going from two and a half early in the week up to three, as the weather forecast got clearer, they got pushed even all the way out to four and a half. Would have covered if Nick Chubb didn't step out, but I don't think they were the right side throughout most of that game anyway. But one of the things that you know we have talked about a little bit here, and I've mentioned this a lot 
in my written work over at ATS.io is that the average NFL total this year, basically in that 50 and a half to 51 range this week, Browns and Eagles, 47 and a half. You've got new England, Houston, a game where weather won't be a factor 47 Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, who knows whether shouldn't be a factor in Florida, but 47 and a half, 48 Cincinnati, Washington, weather could be an issue 46 and a half Tennessee, Baltimore, Two offenses we expected to be really good this year. That total below the NFL average for this season. Miami, Denver, weather always a factor in Denver, as we know. Lower total there. A lot of lower totals on the board here this week, Brian. And I want to get your take on that. I think some of these games, it could be weather protection, weather protection, excuse me, from the odds makers so they don't get caught the way that they did last week. But in some of these other games here, it's surprising to see some low totals. Well, the irony of all ironies is we had the weather last week and it went right across. You had Green Bay, um, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yep. Then you got to the Sunday night game and the irony was the books needed the under in that game, <laughs> which ultimately proved to be the worst weather game of, of them all, I believe. Um, so it's that time of year. It's like the mid-October, a handful. Uh, we had that one wind game in Cleveland, but we're into that point now where you better check weather forecasts if you're playing anything in the Northeast. And yeah. green, green, if Kansas City, let's say Kansas City heading east, and Denver, I guess, with snow, but you, you got to check the weather forecast. You're, you're nuts not to. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, Seattle, you could get some rain and, and maybe some wind, but you know, really for the most part, like you said, you look at the Northeast, you look at maybe if you get you know, a lot more precipitation in the Southeast at this point in time, but wind is the primary factor. These guys play in snow and rain. The wide receivers know where they're going. The defensive backs don't know where those guys are going. So wind and rain, I think, or snow and rain, excuse me, often gets overblown, but wind, pardon the pun, is the one that you really need to focus on. No, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, whether, uh, in the NFL, it's, it's an annual thing. College football as well. Uh, you you got to pay attention. But but it's funny. It, it seems like when it happens, maybe that was kind of the, the norm, that it's not like, oh, it's really – like the first week, it was, boy, it's really windy and bad in Cleveland. And that's it. You know, or it's impacting four or five cities. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's usually a place or it's a boatload of places. Well, and, and something else that I think maybe comes into play, and th- this could be something of a stretch, I don't know, but I've noticed that as the weather has changed here, and I did golf on Saturday, it was like 45 degrees and cloudy. It was cold as hell. And a but, Yeah, right. Um, but I have noticed that, you know, you kind of wake up a little bit. You got sort of that stuffy feeling, maybe a little bit of sinus drainage overnight things of that sort any players here right now that are exhibiting any possible COVID symptoms I teams are being very careful with that so that might be kind of an interesting thing especially when you take teams that are maybe from warmer weather areas going up north things like that you know I don't know if that has any sort of impact maybe I'm sort of micromanaging some handicaps here so to speak but that is something I think could be kind of interesting here as we go forward is that you know these teams are just so aware and so hyper aware of any COVID symptoms that could hijack this thing that now that we've got this change of season and you know teams maybe going to play in areas with different climates stuff like that 
I wonder how many guys miss practice under, you know, teams just being really, really cautious. Well, the difference they have is they, they oh, I, all the time. I get the sniffles. I go get tested. Right. I mean, the rest of the world, we're sitting here with the, you know, the change of season, as you said, rightly. And you get the sniffles or something and people look at you like you're radioactive. Yeah. Oh, man, I. I remember when this thing was first popping in, you know, like mid-March and early April, and I'd go to the grocery store or something, and if somebody coughed, man, just daggers shot through that person. It's I think it's changed a little bit here to some degree, even though everything's spiking. But, yeah, it's true. I mean, you, you definitely treat it like you're radioactive, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, this stuff, kid, I'm telling you, God only knows. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, by the way, just – I know we're talking football, but the NHL, I guess this morning, the, the word is, and we knew they were doing this, but it's a 16-man player committee for the NHLPA. Then they're formulating a game, game plan, and they're adamantly saying they're starting January 1st. Uh, but if they're doing that, we're going to get word on that in the next week to 10 days. We know the NBA's got a plan. The NHL's trying to figure out the problem the NHL has is their TV platform, the Olympics they want to get done before. And I know I completely went off topic on you, but the, but the other thing is the hypocrisy of the NHL, that the Olympics didn't matter to them uh, a few years ago in South Korea, which I was so adamantly opposed to. Uh, but, I mean, but you know they're going to want to go to China you know, because of the economic windfall that would be there for them down the road. And sure enough, they're tailing their entire thing around this season because they got to get done to get back on track for the year after for the Olympics in China, you know? So, you know, there's just the hypocrisy of the stuff uh, in sports. That's what drives you nuts too. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, college basketball is supposed to start what a week from tomorrow. Who knows if that happens? Uh, the NBA, I think they were looking at mid to late December starting maybe the week of Christmas, right before Christmas. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, you know, the, the one thing I will say is, you know, we talk all the time about sort of looking in the betting markets for context clues of, you know, where a line might go, stuff like that. I kind of look at sports as context clues, at least the seasons that haven't started yet, as context clues for what happens with vaccine rollouts and things of that sort. If you start to see more aggressive timelines or you start hearing these owners talk about, the expectation of fans in attendance. My thought is that somebody's telling them, here's you know what we think a vaccine rollout will look like. Here's what we think the chances are of you actually having fans in the building, stuff like that. So any positive news about sports starting with an aggressive timeline or the expectation of fans being there, I think that's good news, you know, really for all of us. But and you're right. I mean, that that's the the problem is you know, fans in the stands, uh, and the punch to the head that 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 dishes out to you and without going down a political rabbit hole you can make all the plans you want and we don't know what's going to happen on january 20th at 12 30 in the afternoon no you're right no you're absolutely right but I, I will say uh you know getting back to the nfl here there are some teams now that have had some semblance of a crowd that aren't going to have one pennsylvania no fans in attendance anymore uh maryland where washington plays no fans in attendance anymore so you know, that's another thing here. Not that it was having a significant impact on home field advantage. And in fact, there is a very small home field advantage in the NFL, but pay attention to that with college football here, where, you know, maybe some capacity uh, rollbacks or just no fans at all. Uh, that could have an impact on your handicapping here while we sort through and navigate these recent spikes. 
I know we're driving off a cliff here, but then the, the thing that just the uncertainty, I mean, we love talking about games and applying, you know, working knowledge to this stuff. Knowledge is the key here. Is what do they actually know? I mean, you look at the numbers that are going through the roof and it's a polit- it was a political football, but the reality of it is I go on Fridays to do my radio show at Sunset Station. Uh, I went to Treasure Island for the Breeders' Cup. Beyond that, I go to work, do my radio show, and come home. That's what I've been doing for months and months and months and months and months. But I will tell you, when I go to Sunset Station, and that day I was at Treasure Island, I walked through there. There was not one person, not one. I didn't see a person in there not wearing a mask. And look at the numbers are going through the roof. Yet masks are the great end-all be-all that are going to say that nobody knows a damn thing about this thing. It's a virus. It's going to run its course. The vaccine's the only thing that's going to save the day. But to sit there and say that the mask thing is, you know, like you said, I, I everywhere I go, people have a mask on and these numbers are going through the roof. Who knows? Who has the answer? Who knows? And those that tell you they do don't. Well, I don't know, but hopefully we got some answers here for week 11 in the NFL. We're going to try to do a highlight video here with some NFL week 11 game breakdowns. We'll see if Zoom allows us to do it. I'm host Adam Burke. That's Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, one thing we do have here is a pretty good Thursday night game in the NFC West, Arizona and Seattle. This line's pretty much three with extra juice market wide total anywhere from 57 and a half to 58 and a half depending on where you look. So the expectation of points, very much a thing here. And it feels like consumer confidence in the Seahawks has kind of gone down over the last couple of weeks. Well, here's the deal. You got three teams atop the NFC West at six and three. Uh, I think Seattle's the play here all day long. I can't believe this numbers come down to three. And again, it's the world we're living in with the reactions games. You just saw there. Everything's baked in the cake here, man. I mean, listen, Seattle's lost to Arizona. Seattle has lost to the Rams. They're in peril here from a tiebreaker perspective to win this division. They have to win this game. This game is Seattle's season. Now, they can get in as a wild card, certainly. But if they want to win the division, they've got to win this game. If they lose this game, Arizona's got a two-game lead on them. Not one, two, because of tiebreakers. And it's a short week. You're going on the road. And Arizona you would think is coming off, you know, one of the biggest letdowns of the year where Miami beat them, Buffalo beat them, and then they get the miracle. Allen took them down the field, won the game. You do that 99 times out of 100. God bless him, Hopkins makes that play. So Arizona gets this win. You know, yeah, can you take it, run with it? I guess, but to me, short week, going on the road, Seattle's got to circle the wagons, letdown spot for Arizona. And if you go inside that first game they played, Adam, the final score was 37-34. And in that game, I believe Wilson threw three interceptions. And Seattle had a 10-point lead with like five minutes to go, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going from memory. And Seattle got real conservative and started playing the clock and gave Arizona a chance. And, of course, Arizona got got that chance, took it, got the overtime, and won the game. But throughout the meat and potatoes of that game, Seattle was the better team. Unless I'm missing something, everything points to Seattle. And I'd be betting that today because I think 
common sense is going to kick in and this number is going to go through three. I think the one thing that we've really found out about Seattle through their losses and, you know, through these last two performances for them is they don't have a running game. Well, Russell, Wilson, defense sucks. Russell Wilson has to be flawless because this defense yeah. is God awful. And Russell yeah. Wilson has not been flawless the last two weeks. And as you mentioned, had some turnover issues in that game against Arizona that allowed them to kind of hang around and then put themselves in a position to win the game in overtime. So that's the question that I have here is, is something wrong with Russell Wilson? Is there just something going on with this guy? And he did take some shots in that game against Buffalo. So I don't know if maybe there's a nagging injury or something else, but if he's not flawless, if he doesn't take care of the football, this Seattle team is not good because as you said, they cannot run it and they can't stop anybody. So that's sort of the handicap here to me. And I don't know the answer. I think Russell Wilson is obviously, you know, good enough to win the MVP. I think Russell Wilson is a top three quarterback in the NFL, maybe the best quarterback in the NFL, given what he has to work with, uh, you know, with no running game and all the things he's overcome throughout his career. But the thing about it here is, is there something wrong with him? Because if he's not a hundred percent, either mentally or physically, this defense is very hard to bet on laying points. Well, I, I don't think we have to overanalyze it. I think they're, they're not free fall, but their speed bumps have gotten bigger. And it all coincided with the injury to Carson. You know, Russell Wilson this, Russell Wilson that. But when, and honestly, it, it couldn't happen at a worse time. It was Carson and Carlos Hyde. I mean, either, you know, Hyde, the drop off from Carson to Hyde's not that significant, but the drop off from Carson to Hyde to DJ Dallas and a Homer and the new guy they just threw in is massive. I I think you can, we know their defense stinks, but, but, but I think it's that simple. The teams are playing like a cover two. They're like, they can't run the ball. So they got safeties, you know, playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. They're not letting Lockett or Metcalf get deep on them because they don't have a running game. If Carson or Hyde were there and teams played that defense, Seattle go right down the field. Well, I think it's certainly an interesting game. And the best bet in this game is to sign up over at BetMGM Sportsbook as a new user with the promotion here for Thursday Night Football. Bet $1 on either money line. You win $100 in free bets if a touchdown is scored in the game. And as Brian and I just talked about, you've got two pretty poor defenses here. Two good quarterbacks in Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. A touchdown will be scored. So head over to ATS.io and read up more on that bet $1, win $100 in free bets promotion over at BetMGM Sportsbook. Brian, moving to Sunday here, I don't really want to talk about the Eagles and the Browns because as I I tweeted on Sunday, even when the Browns win, I lose because I had them minus three and a half in the Circa, minus three in the market. So that was a push for me. I want to talk about Atlanta and New Orleans here. Total 51 and a half on this game spread anywhere from four and a half to five, depending on where you look, it will be Jameis Winston and probably a lot of Taysom Hill, Sean Payton's best friend with Drew Brees out with the collapsed lung and the broken ribs. Look, I don't know if this line should have moved from six, six and a half, because I don't know if at this point in time, the drop off from Drew Brees and how limited he is throwing the ball downfield it's really all that different to what Jameis Winston can do. It's just a matter of does Winston turn the football over a bunch and how much does that impact the Saints in this game? Well, everything you just said is just right. Uh, 
The funny thing is, at first blush, you're going, oh, Drew Brees is out, Jameis Winston's out. Maybe the bigger impact should be the total, and, and that total would plummet. When the reality of it is, maybe the total should go up. And you think of what Winston was doing with the Bucks. I mean, he can make some electric plays. Uh, he's got a cannon. He can stretch the field. And New Orleans has not stretched the field. But watch a guy like maybe Traquan Smith get a little more involved. Watch them start throwing a lot of the uh, – not a lot, but more passes to stretch the field. Kamara, you, you can't stop him. But like you said, on top of the great things he can do, his defining nature is to make a bad mistake that produces instant points. So I think maybe the over is actually the thing you consider here. And I'm on board with you. The, the advanced number was seven and a half. Now you got Atlanta coming off a bye. But for that number to come all the way down to four and a half, all you got to do is go back a calendar year. Breeze was out. He's going to be out a long time. And you're like, well, if they can just, you know, stay afloat, play 500 football till Breeze comes back, they'll be okay. Well, Teddy Bridgewater just won game after game after game after game. Well, the Saints won game after game after game with Teddy Bridgewater. What's to say they can't do the same thing here with Jameis Winston? And, oh, by the way, I mean, it's a, a great opportunity for Winston. Um, outside chance, if he plays really well for the next five, six weeks, that maybe there's a chance to resurrect his career to not be a guy holding a clipboard uh, and that there are teams that are out there that are just dying on the vine for quarterbacks. A, did you watch that game last night? You know, uh, I wonder if Winston doesn't take this opportunity and run with it. And maybe it's the resurrection of his career. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, Winston had some opportunities to go other places, but he took a one-year deal with New Orleans in hopes that, you know, either being, you know, there in the same quarterback room as Drew Brees or maybe getting a chance to play like the opportunity he may have going forward here would get him that multi-year deal to be a clear-cut starter for a well, team that needs a quarterback. So well, there's the guy, a lot on the line here for him, for sure. The team, the team that may need be that may need the quarterback, uh, obviously the clock's ticking real fast, is right where he is. That's true. So what a great opportunity for him to audition for Sean Payton, who's just so thoroughly infatuated with Taysom Hill. But, you know, Winston says, if I go there, I get a chance or whatever. I'm competing with a guy that's kind of a a hybrid and, you know, will it or can it work? And Peyton says Hill's really effective when we use set packages for him when he comes in as opposed to him being in there the whole time. So in a, in a bizarre way for New Orleans, they're okay this year, and it maybe helps Peyton – uh, make a real firm decision what life after Drew Brees is going to be. It, it could be manna from heaven for this team. No, that's absolutely true. And, you know, you talk about this injury for Drew Brees, and, you know, I mean, the guy is, you know, getting up there in years, to say the least. So I think that's an excellent point that you make here. Well, and what pass has he thrown? And you're right. But what pass has he thrown longer than 30 yards this year? Yeah, not many. Yeah, not, not many not at many. all. I mean, Winston no. now gives them – this is going to be very interesting to see – how much they rein him in, or do they actually expand the playbook with an athletic quarterback? Well, and more to that point, I mean, the more I think about this game, the more I actually really like New Orleans. I mean, their defense is coming around in a very big way. As long as Winston doesn't throw pick sixes, I think they'll be good to cover in this game. 
because something else here with Atlanta and, and maybe this is just some recency bias, but you think about some of the teams that were coming off of buys last week, the Bengals were uncompetitive. The Eagles looked like shit against the giants. I mean, they looked terrible in that game. I think you could argue, and I don't know if this would apply to Andy Reid and the chiefs coming off the buy, but I think you could argue that the bye week is a massive detriment this season. Because all these guys have to do right now is play football. They can't go out and do anything because they don't want to get COVID. They don't want to cost their teammates or anything like that. Teams can't practice. They have to take that full week off now for the bye week. The NFL changed that a couple of years ago. I think you're better off playing week after week after week, having that routine, going to practice, doing video, working out, all that, then going home to your family. Because on a bye week, you have nothing to do. Because you can't go out there and potentially put your team or yourself at risk with these COVID protocols. And because you can't practice anymore, I think the importance of the bye week had already waned a little bit anyway. So I think a team like Atlanta that's not going anywhere, couldn't really do anything during the bye, has a lame duck head coach in all likelihood in Raheem Morris. I think the bye is a detriment for them. I like New Orleans quite a bit here this week. I know it's kind of a square public type of play, but... I think the Saints are in a great spot here because you've got maybe the most motivated Jameis Winston has ever been. And by the way, he looks in better shape than he did his last couple of years in Tampa Bay. And you have an Atlanta team that I think, you know, I think some some laziness could have settled in over the bye week. And by the way, just listening to you talk, it just got me thinking a little bit. It's something to don't forget. It's like out of sight, out of mind and gone. And I'm sure you'll you'll add to this for me. But specifically... Uh, Denver and New England. I and Denver's already kind of a bit of a mess, but don't forget, Denver and New England basically aren't getting a bye because they practice all week to play that game and then it got postponed and then they just played it again the next week. And there were several other teams that have been impacted where a bye is not part of the equation, and it's, it's a realistic possibility that those teams, when we get to mid-December, could hit a wall. No, that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Now, to say at the least. Other, who are the other teams? I know Den, Denver, New England immediately come to mind. Uh, the Baltimore? irony of irony. Wasn't Baltimore Tennessee, another one? Tennessee was the root of the problem. Look, and Tennessee was the root of the problem. And Tennessee's, you know, coming off a bye. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know? Uh I, I know for sure it was uh, Denver and New England. And now Baltimore looks like they've played straight through. Well, Baltimore had that, that one game pushed back, if I remember correctly, uh, earlier on in the year. I, I Yeah, I mean, this this is just such a unique year in, in so many yeah. different ways. But like I said, I think the bye week is actually a detriment here, you know, to these teams, unless they absolutely need it because they're so ravaged by injuries. But that was Philadelphia last week. They got a bunch of guys back, and they were really uncompetitive and quite sloppy in that game against the Giants, who play really hard week after week. They're not a good team, but they play really hard every single week. So, I don't know, just some food for thought, I guess, uh, you know, with regards to that Atlanta-New Orleans game. And another thing, you know, I haven't done this, um, but I, I would not favorites and dogs, but I, I, we should look this up. Just home and road teams, you know, is, is travel. What is the impact on, on travel and 
the, the way this thing has gone in this unique year, just home and road teams, as simple as that, not favorites and dogs. And I was thinking that the, the road teams could actually have a fair amount of success, but I'm, I'm looking at this past week and the home day, home teams had a field day. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking caught up. It, it was very big for the away teams up until, you know, recently here. The Tampa Bay was a road winner. The only road team that won this past week was Tampa Bay. I mean, the Bills were on the road, had the game won, and, you know, we know what happened there. But but look at that. Only one road team won until you got to Monday night when Minnesota was hard-pressed to beat Chicago. So the home teams this past week fared quite well. A couple of other games I want to pick your brain about here for Week 11 real quickly. New England laying a road price of two and a half at Houston. This is a very interesting line because Houston was favored on the look ahead lines. Houston doesn't really do much in a bad weather game against Cleveland, New England. They actually looked the part against Baltimore. They've made some adjustments. Bill Belichick reminding everybody why he's one of the best in the business. And now they're laying two and a half going to Houston, a Houston team that has only beaten Jacksonville this year. And they've done that twice a team accustomed to being in the mix to win the division, get into the playoffs, try to do something when they get there, that won't happen this year. And I think that's where tanking comes in more than anything. Teams just aren't as focused when they're not reaching the expectations that they're accustomed to. Can you possibly lay a number with New England on the road here, though? No. New England can play with the lead. See, I, I, New England to me is like the Bears. If the Bears get the lead, good luck to you. If New England gets the lead, good luck to you. But if they get behind, they can't come from behind. So, you know, so much of this is dictated by how the game actually starts. Now, Belichick, you know, give him full marks. I mean, you know, he knows how to take things away from you. Basically, what's he going to do here? He's going to take Will Fuller away. You know, but... Watson's a guy that can run around and make plays with his feet. But I, I, I still think the New England offense is just – I mean, how, how about the, a chance to seal the game? I mean, the, the, the pass – and I know the weather was awful, but, I mean, that's you and me playing catch in the driveway. Newton missed the touchdown pass from the five-yard line that, you know, puts the game away. I don't know. I, it's hard it, – to me, it's very hard to trust either one of these teams. Uh, I certainly like the quarterback uh, for Houston a lot better than the quarterback for the Patriots. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and, you know, I watched a lot of that Houston-Cleveland game last week. And, frankly, I thought Houston was a lot more creative with their play calling. Despite the bad weather, they put a lot more trust into Sean Watson than the Browns put in Baker Mayfield. And and I can't fault them for that at all. Um, You know, Watson had them in scoring areas twice. They scored the one touchdown after they fell behind 10-0 and then got stopped inside the five. I was kind of impressed with with Watson in that regard. What I wasn't impressed with was Romeo Cornell wasted two timeouts in the second half. He called a timeout on fourth and two to kick a 46-yard field goal in 60-mile-per-hour wins, which was just mind-blowing to me. Would have needed that timeout late in the game. I don't know if it would have mattered, but would have been nice to have it in a game where nobody was really going to get margin, and you had to figure those timeouts would be important. So, I think Cornell is just not getting the job done in Houston. You know, you look at their game against Jacksonville. They didn't even cover the number in that one. 
They got their bump. They got their bump when they covered against Jacksonville and then took Tennessee to the wire and probably should have won that game against the Titans. Since then, it's been downhill for Houston. So even though I don't like New England, I could not entertain Houston at all here. And frankly, I don't think I'll have a bet on Houston the rest of the season. No, I agree. And honestly, I'd be inclined. I think this total's high. I did 48 and a half. I, I just think it's high. I think Belichick will do what he can to slow down Watson. And I think on a week-to-week basis, I think New England is more than content if they can get the running game going or it's the re- run pass option or the RPO and Newton's running. the. I think the clock's running. All right. Got Brian Blessing back here. I'll have to do an edit with that. I'm not sure what I can do with the video, but I'll do the best I can there with the audio. Brian, last thing, you know, you've already done highlight videos for us over on our ATS YouTube page, looking at the Packers, Colts, Chiefs and Raiders, and also Rams and Bucks. Anything else on this card now that we've got all the games lined and posted that, that stands out to you in any way? Yeah, I kind of like the Rams uh, on the Monday night game at Tampa Bay. I, I think that defense is pretty good. Um, and, you know, Tampa Bay, I don't know if they got well against Carolina, but, I mean, they took out their frustration on Carolina. But I'm not about to say, oh, Tampa Bay's back. Um, I, I think that was a nice win for the Rams over Seattle. And if they could contain Russell Wilson the way they did, what will they be able to do against the stationary target that Tom Brady is? Brady will still do good things, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I, I like uh, I like the Rams catching the points. And, I, you know, if you can get the hook, uh, the plus three and a half looks pretty attractive to me. And the other thing is, the weird anomaly is, you know, this is t- uh, the Rams' fifth trip, fifth to the Eastern time zone. They're two and two. They they got beat in both games, the AFC opponents, AFC East opponents. Um, they played a hard-fought game in Buffalo, got pitchforked by Miami, but then they handled Philly and Washington. So, you know – all right, let's go beyond the AFC East. They they lost their two out-of-conference games. Now they're going back East where they seem to be pretty comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, and they get the extra day, too, playing a Monday Night Football. I don't know if I love a side in that game. I do like the under 47.5, though. I think this is a game where you know the Rams can contain Brady a little bit. You've got the pass rush with Aaron Donald, of course. You've got you're really a stars and stiffs unit for the Rams, and I think they have enough stars back there in the secondary – to kind of contain Brady a little bit. And I don't think Goff does a whole lot against this Tampa Bay defense, which grades very well by the advanced metrics, grades very well in a lot of different areas. They had issues with the Saints a couple of weeks ago, but outside of that, you know, they've been a very solid unit here this year. And Jared Goff just against good defenses generally doesn't impress me a whole lot. He's not good in the face of pressure if the Bucs are able to get any of that. So I kind of like the under in that one, under 47 and a half. Um, that one has come down a little bit from 48 and a half, but no thoughts on the side. I like the under though, but I, one other one, I just, I, I got to throw out there. Uh, and, and timing is everything. I mean, what do we always say? It's like a generic thing, but it's true. It, you know, who you bet fine, but in many instances, when you bet is just as important. And yesterday I had just gotten off the air at two o'clock our time. And 
I'm, I'm looking, I happened to be on the app at the time. And I'm like, is this right? And I'm, I hit the button and I'm in the meat of the, the guts of the building and the wheels spinning of trying to find a location. I literally ran outside so the bet would go through. Kansas City at the at Vegas. Uh, the opener was seven and or six and a half, and and then it went to seven. Said it's going to go to seven, and then yesterday, I don't know. Somebody dumped a bus uh, on the Raiders, and the Raiders listen very quietly, six and three, doing a lot of good things. But this thing dropped to five and a half. I ran outside. I liked I liked the Chiefs and got the bet in. Here's the deal. We know about, okay, I'm not telling you anything. You know about Andy Reid off a bye. All right, that's the starting point. You've got revenge. The Chiefs' only blemish is at the hands of the Raiders. Throw this bus thing in where the the Raiders did a victory lap around the stadium. Okay, teams like to manufacture billboard garbage. So, But there's that. But I just think that the Kansas City, with revenge, coming off a bye, I think they show up in a big way and they are going to, they are going to produce a truckload of points. And I think they'll do a better job defending because the Raiders played a great game against them, but rugs and Aguilar were getting deep on them. I mean, I think the chiefs will make the adjustment that they won't get beat over the top. They did in the first game. I, I, and it's no knock on the Raiders. I mean, I just think this is a, a bad spot for the Raiders. If they win this game, then the Raiders are the real deal. But I, I think Kansas City takes them to the woodshed. Kansas City, to me, is a lot like an Olympic athlete that's running some sort of distance race or you know doing some sort of cross-country skiing or something like that. When you're really good, you just know when you can relax a little bit, when you can kind of take your foot off the gas, kind of gather yourself in some respects, stuff like that. Kansas City's done it a couple of times. They did it against Carolina. They did it against the Raiders. The difference is they beat Carolina. They didn't beat the Raiders. They've had some spots this year where it's just kind of, I think it's more telltale for the Chiefs that we know, all right, Andy Reid's either going to hold something back or they're not going to show everything or Mahomes is going to make sure he doesn't take any unnecessary abuse, stuff like that. They had a spot like that against the Raiders earlier on in the year. Now the tables have turned. This is a much different spot for Kansas City to the point where, like you said, if they want to make a statement, they can and will do it. And I think I would definitely look more towards that side than taking Vegas here in this one. Haven't decided if I'm going to have a play on side or total here yet. Uh, Maybe Kansas City first half, something I could consider because they probably do come out ready to go here in this one. Uh, But you you, you probably won't find me with a Raiders ticket, that's for sure. Well, I I, I, re- I really like this guy. I, I mean, I, I I think it's Woodshed City. I think I think Kansas City's about sending a message, a little revenge, which is a good thing. They're fresh. They're coming out. They're they're ready to to go on a little tootsie roll here. But the, here we go again, Adam, with people looking at the last thing they saw and overreacting, like, oh my God, the Chiefs barely lost at Carolina, and then Carolina went and got absolutely killed. Well, wait a minute. The Chiefs lost to Carolina in a game that Christian McCaffrey played in. And then Bridgewater gets hurt. And Carolina got killed. Well, But nobody connects the dots properly. No, I think that's fair. I mean, again, you know, Kansas City is, they're, they're just one of those, they just have feel. I mean, they just they just get it. You know, they just completely understand. 
And, okay, fine. They lost against the spread against Carolina. They won the game 33-31, so they did escape with a victory, and, and that's it. I mean, it's a bottom-line business. They're not worried about covering numbers and stuff like that. But remember, off the Vegas game, they covered three straight, Buffalo, Denver, and the Jets. I know Denver and the Jets are awful, but they also won those games comfortably. So you know, they made the plays they had to defensively against Drew Locke. They didn't play their greatest game against Denver. But teams just know when to hit a stride. Teams just know when to flip that switch. I think Kansas City probably does know better than anybody else in the NFL when to flip that switch. So I'll do what I can with the editing for the highlight video here. I know we had a couple of lags and stopping points uh, on the Zoom call here, and I'll edit the audio as well. But make sure you subscribe to the full editions of ATS Radio on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podbean, TuneIn, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. Brian, we'll finish up with a few minutes here quickly on the RSM Classic, staying in the state of Georgia here 33, I think it is, players going from the Masters to Sea Island Resort to play on the Seaside course and the Plantation course, but 54 of the 72 holes for each player that makes the cut will be on the Seaside course. So you want to make sure you handicap that one a little bit harder here. Webb Simpson, the 10-to-1 favorite. Your boy Sungjae Im, fresh millionaire, off of finishing second at the Masters, 18-to-1. Ty Hatton, 18-to-1. Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, Henley, Harris English, Louis Oosthuizen, all in that 22 to 28 range. What are you looking at here at Sea Island? Well, it, it's a tough handicap in that uh, do guys that played in the Masters have an advantage uh, with a rhythm played, and then they come to this, and there's less pressure. Uh, a guy like Hatton missed the cut, had been playing great. Uh, he gets a little extra time to prepare, or guys completely coming off the shelf that didn't play in the Masters. Uh, the one thing I would say, in that southeast little quadrant, when we do these golf tournaments, we resonate to guys that live down there. Webb Simpson's 9-1. to one. He was a runner-up last year. Makes sense that, that he's the guy to beat in this tournament. Uh, but there are other guys, and you look at the Georgia crew. Uh, Zach Johnson lives 13 minutes from this course. If it's windy, he's got a low ball flight. Great short game. I don't think Bombers have to you know, rule the day here, so I like a guy like Zach Johnson. And I know you and I had talked on my radio show, guys that putt the ball very well. Oh, by the way, happens to be a Georgia guy. And oh, by the way, won a couple of tournaments at this time of year last year. Uh, I like Brendan Todd. Yeah, Brendan Todd, I'm seeing 50, 55 to one, the price on him. Zach Johnson has taken a little bit of money this week. He's come down to 60. I think a lot of places had him more in the 70 range. Other local guys here, Brian Harmon, Harris English, Matt Kuchar. Um, you know, there are several guys that actually live on St. Simon's Island. So they are very, very close to this course. Those are some guys you could think about. But as you said, you know, and as I wrote in my preview over at ATS.io, this is neither one of these courses are long. The Plantation course, a par 72, the Seaside par 70, but neither one of them are long. This is a, an event where... It ranks in the top five annually in fairway percentage and greens and regulation. So basically everyone's getting to the dance floor at the same time. It's just about whoever has the best moves when they get there. So I like guys like Denny McCarthy at 70 to one Christopher Ventura. He was fourth in strokes game putting last season on the PGA tour. Uh, he's one twenty five to one McCarthy, by the way, led the PGA tour in strokes game putting 
McKenzie Hughes has won here before. He's in the 55, 60 to one range. He's a very good putter. So I'm looking at guys that roll it well. JT Poston rolls it very well. Hasn't played well here in the past, but he's a local native. He's 80 to one. Maybe this is the tournament for him. And then lastly, outside of the putters, guys that play well in wind, because these are two coastal courses. Maybe a European tour guy like an Alex Norin, somebody you want to take a look at. Matt Wallace, a guy I know you've tipped before in various tournaments. He's 80 to one. Look for guys that play well in these coastal courses, Mexico. Punta Cana, Bermuda, stuff like that. You know, maybe a Pat Perez at a monster number plays well here this week. I think he's 200 to one, something like that. So I'm looking at putters. I'm looking at guys I know play well in the wind. Uh, I throw two at you. Uh, One, and the price is actually relative to the field he's competing against. Tommy Fleetwood uh, is marginally interesting, but in the same vein, the price is right. Uh, he had two terrific rounds, well, two good rounds and two subpar rounds. Uh, Lee Westwood in the 80 to one range, uh, marginally interesting to me. He shot a 68, then he went 74, 71, 74. But Westwood's putting is night and day better than it's ever been. Uh, but he's a real good wind player. And in fact, I think he did, uh, you know, he's been in, in contention over on the European tour in the last six weeks uh, in events that were really windy. So don't sleep on Lee Westwood as a wind player. No, definitely some good opportunities here for the RSM Classic. Uh, You can hear me break it down with Brian on his Wednesday radio show uh, coming up here tomorrow. But always great to chat here with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Also does some videos for us over on our ATS YouTube page. And Brian, how can people check out all the fine work that you do? Oh, thanks, Adam. Yeah, noon to 2 Pacific time on AM 1400 KSHP where there's a listen live function. Uh, I'm on, actually, we added the Sports Grid Radio Network, sportsgrid.com. I do uh, 11 to 1 Pacific time. We added an hour for them, uh, so the shows are up there. Basically, the stuff's all on my Twitter at Brian Blessing, uh, and we're looking forward to a a conversation with you midweek. Talk about a bunch of stuff, including the golf. Yeah, always great. Always fun to chat with Brian Blessing, a jack of all trades, kind of much like myself here on ATS Radio. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing. And Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week, right before the holiday. All right, Adam. Have a great day, bud. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing. Coming up on Wednesday, we'll chat some college football. eh, No NFL. We'll talk college football in college basketball, which we hope we'll get with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. We will get some more NFL on Thursday after we talk college football with Brad Powers, another professional better and handicapper from bradpowersports.com. Then Friday, my Circus Sports Million picks off of a one and four week looking to bounce back here in week 11. Talk about that on the show on the solo segment coming up here to finish out the week on ATS radio. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.